0: Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan.
1: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside... Texas Sports Spine, where uh, We're doing our show out of Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. do want to say thank you to our wonderful sponsors of our Sports Medicine Radio Show. Buffalo Wild Wings and Sports Clips could not do our show without our wonderful sponsors. By the way, if you ever want to find out how to be a sponsor of our Sports Medicine Radio Show Docs and Jocks, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com. That's D-O-X-N J-O-X dot com. You can also listen to us on our iTunes podcast Docs and Jocks. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, by going to docsandjocks.com. There you can also uh, email us your Questions you might have that we will put on our show here. I'm a 20-year sports medicine physician with Texas Sports and Spine. Been a team physician at the professional level, college level, high school level, you name it. Enjoy doing uh, on-air what I do at my day job at Texas Sports and Spine. And that's talking to people about different injuries that occur, whether it's a knee, a hip, a back that happen to athletes. And we do it here on the show. We're really a sports entertainment show that we do it from a sports medicine niche. And what we do is we talk about what maybe your favorite player, or your favorite team, is experiencing with the injury they're having to deal with right now, and bring that down into layman's terms and let you you know how long it might last, what that injury uh, entails, those types of things. I do want to say uh, this show is going to be a great show, Ferris. Uh, And, by the way, Ferris Potter is the voice of Grand Canyon University, my longtime co-host here on Docs and Jocks. Thanks for being on the show, Ferris.
2: Yeah, man, it's the best time of the year. I mean, we're getting ready for the Combines. We got NBA coming down the stretch. We got baseball. It's awesome. Hockey. It's fantastic.
1: Man, we got one of your good friends coming on later in the show, too. We have Jordy Hackett, who is the director of sports medicine program at Grand Canyon University, where he's been dealing with some unique uh, injured athletes there with the basketball program, men's basketball program. we are talking to him about how he got those guys back on the floor and how those injuries uh, really, you look at them all differently and individually. And so we'll have him coming up later on in the show. So looking forward to having your friend on.
2: Yeah, it's going to be good. Jordy's awesome, man. He's he's, uh, he's very uh, sold out to his job. He knows the biz. And a couple of really weird injuries this year that we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, injuries happen at all levels. And, uh, man, in college, if they happen at the wrong time, it can change the, the Man, it'll oh, change yeah. the destiny of your team for sure. There's simple injuries that happen all day long, but they happen to the wrong player at the wrong time with the wrong injury, it really, really changes the course of that uh, that season. It can definitely happen in college basketball like we saw with Grand Canyon University. It happens at every level, professional level. That's what we do here on Docs and Jocks. We talk about those injuries and what we think how they might affect your team. Ferris also is the, the voice of, uh, what's the name of your fantasy uh, sports rap, right?
2: Yeah, the Fantasy Baseball Wrap. So, fantasybaseballrap.com. Uh, you can check it out, sign up for our newsletter, and uh, we're trying to get you ready for the baseball season.
1: Absolutely. And injuries have a huge part in fantasy sports. So, hey, you want to stay here with us on Docs and Jocks? We'll be right back with more of your Sports Medicine Radio show on the other side of this short commercial break.
0: You're listening to Guy Talk live from the Sport Clips Haircuts Locker Room. Caller, you're on the air. My
3: girlfriend beat me
0: playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing
3: our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only 549. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're
1: hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. We're coming to you from inside... Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. If you just catch your show for the very first time, want to maybe find out more about our show, or maybe you missed a previous uh, interview or show we've had, you do so, uh, find that show by going to Docs and Jocks on your iTunes app and listen to it anytime, anywhere. Joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter, of the voice of Grand Canyon University. Uh, looking forward to that interview coming up with uh, Grand Canyon University uh, Director of Sports Medicine, Jordy Hackett, on the other side of this interview. Won't want to miss that. And, Ferris, I thought we'd also uh, maybe jump into one of your favorite teams. I know you're a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, we just heard today that uh, Jamal Charles, remember, he had a uh, anterior cruciate ligament rupture. That's the big ligament inside your knee. Remember, your knee is stabilized by multiple ligaments. Uh, two of them on the outside are called collateral ligaments because they're on the outside, one on the lateral, the outside of your knee, one on the inside, medial collateral ligament. And then you have two crisscross ligaments inside the knee that kind of form a cross. And uh, that's a uh, cruciate is actually what that means. And so as they cross each other, the one that goes towards the front of your knee down the bottom, that's an anterior cruciate ligament, that ligament runs kind of like Ferris. If you put your hand in your pocket and the direction that your hand is pointing is the direction that that ligament, your anterior cruciate ligament, runs inside your knee, the posterior cruciate ligament runs just the opposite direction, perpendicular to that one. And when he ruptured his anterior cruciate ligament, obviously a running back in the NFL needs to have that reconstructed. And they well, they usually take either your hamstring tendon or they take a tendon from the other knee called your, uh, from your bottom of your kneecap, then a third of the patellar tendon, and then the bone from uh, the very tip of your tibia. We call that a bone-tendon-bone uh, autograph. You put that in the uh, knee, on the other knee and you reconstruct it, or you can take a, a cadaver uh, uh, ACL and you can use that as well. But uh, he had that reconstructed, and he just wasn't the same running back uh, when he was able to come back. He had to leave uh, this season. He wasn't the same running back. Man, you see a guy like Jamal Charles who really is, two years ago, the NFL's leading rusher, a guy that is – Man, on the top of his game, leading the Chiefs really to the playoff run, and now you see him, he's cut by them just a little over a year later, and it's all due to an injury. It's really sad when you see a great talent like a Jamal Charles not be able to be as productive as he once was and cut by the team. As, As a fan, you probably still love Jamal Charles. He did a lot for the Kansas
2: City Chiefs. He's a great running back. Yeah, I mean, he'll go down. I mean, he and Priest Holmes was probably the two most, uh, you know, the biggest offensive threats in the history of Kansas City Chiefs football. I mean, they were both phenomenal. And Marcus, and, Allen, um,
1: Marcus Allen for one year.
2: Yeah, Marcus had a great couple of years there. Yeah. But, man, I tell you what, you know, Jamal, though, I mean, because he and Priest, they would catch balls out of the backfield. I mean, yeah. it was like three or four years where he was close to 2,000 total yards and like 20 touchdowns. He was just a massive, massive threat to the opposing team. But – you know, I mean, he was due to make a bunch of money. He only played eight games the last year. He was supposed to play last year. He could never get it going. I mean, he said he still wants to play. So, you know, who knows? Maybe a team with a good line that needs a little a guy and give him a chance. And hopefully he'll sign somewhere for, you know, a million, million and a half or something like that with some incentives on the back end. I could see a guy like that going up and, and, and being the running back up in New England. And, uh, you know, getting healthy and turning into a great, you know, a guy they could ride for a year and then he goes somewhere else, you know, or maybe right. like a Seattle or something like that. where They've got a good, pretty good line, got a good quarterback, and uh, they just give him a chance, you know, see what he can do. But he's going to have to convince people because yeah. eight games in the last couple years, I mean, he just never had, quite had it last year. And right. so, yeah, it's sad to see, but. That's the NFL, man. Get I your know. money when you can because you never know when it's going to end.
1: You're exactly right. You never know when, when injuries are going to happen. The good news for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, on the other flip of the coin, the other side of the coin, is uh, they signed Eric Berry, their uh, Pro Bowl uh, defensive back, uh, uh, safety. And uh, Eric, Eric Berry is one of our favorite players. We've talked about him here a lot on Docs and Jocks because he's one of those guys that we were rooting for. He's, uh, by all uh, what we've seen of him, he seems like a very good guy. We've had on uh, Hagan Little, who was his athletic trainer, and uh, he talks about how Eric Berry is one of the guys, first guys there, last guy to leave. Everybody kind of looked up to him as a leader in the locker room. So from what we've seen on TV and then talking to his trainer, obviously seems like a good guy. And he ke- he came back from lymphoma. And uh, he went through all his uh, chemotherapy and, and was able to bounce back and come back. It was a great comeback story. We talked about it here on Docs and Jocks where his first game, his family had all the signs. They were, uh, man, just going crazy for him. So you always love to see – a good guy do well you always love to see a good guy have a great comeback story and that's what we saw with Eric Berry so kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs uh Eric Berry earned it by the way they're, they're not they're not giving him anything that he didn't earn right but he's a great player on the field I'm sure you're glad to see him coming back
2: yeah Barry just a good guy on the field good guy off the field uh really the heart and soul of that defense and really the whole team especially how he came back from the cancer and everything but uh you know it's interesting it's signing guys to long-term deals we just talked about the nfl and giving them money up front and then they have one injury and they can't play well, anymore you done, know so yeah. it's it's tough for, you know teams have to really think through do, they, do we want to do it is this the guy to do it with and if they're going to give it to anybody eric bear is the guy there in case he really is mr kansas city right now he's kind of taken on that mantle as the most well-known kansas city chief in the area and other than Travis Kelsey, but he's well-known for being kind of a knucklehead, you know, so (laughs) Barry's the guy you want to give the money to.
1: Right. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, Jamal Charles being released uh, by the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the best running backs in the league a couple years ago, how about the best running back, one, one of the best running backs of all time, Adrian Peterson, today announced by the Minnesota Vikings that he's been released. So on the same day that you see Jamal Charles released by Kansas City Chiefs, you see, uh, Adrian Peterson, AP, uh, released, and really in big part due to, once again, here what we talked about on Docs and Jocks, his injuries. He had a meniscus tear last year. Uh, missed most of the season, and so now you see another great running back going to leave in the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, there was more to the story than just the injury, I believe. I think they were ready to part ways after some of the other incidents they'd had over the years, but I think an injury played was probably the straw that broke the camel's back, but I think AP still has some good years in him and probably will, like you said, find a team that has a good line. He could come in and be uh, immediately helpful, and I think he still has some uh, good good yardage in him. What do you think?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the Vikings will probably try to get him back just because they just didn't want to pay him the eighteen million bucks to get right. him back. Yeah. But uh, you know, he's a free agent, and there are teams that need him. I mean, unfortunately for him, Ezekiel Elliott showed that the Dallas Cowboys don't need a running back because I know uh, Jerry Jones was always enamored with Adrian Peterson, but now they don't need that. But the the, the most compelling storyline there's two of them. The Raiders might need him. He looked great behind Derek Carr in the in oh, the yeah. uh, oh, yeah. silver and black. He would, yeah. Get this one. The team that might need a running back, the Green Bay Packers.
1: Oh, so, would they be good?
2: Could you imagine? Oh if you went to my Green goodness!
1: Bay? It's the reverse of the Brett Favre years, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the re- Brett Favre reverse curse.
2: I want that to happen. That would be I mean, great. That's good TV. To be a free agent. Yeah. So they, you know, they might let him go, and AP might, you know, he might be a guy who has so much faith in himself. You say, hey, well, you know, you're set to make eighteen. We'll sign you for like seven, eight, but we'll give you these incentives. And if you reach these goals, you play a certain number of games, you could make up to $18 bucks if you perform. He might be a guy that says, yeah, I'll do that for a year.
1: Hey, who's the uh, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, running back? Amon Green? Amon Green. Yeah, we need to get him back on the show again, have him talk about it. That's right. Yeah. See what he thinks about Adrian Peterson coming back and being a Packer. How awesome would that be, man? Would that be crazy? It'd be great TV. There's great TV. There's going to be
2: a bidding war, though, because there's, yeah. there's probably five or six teams that could really use a, a great running back like that, you know.
1: And how mad is AP at the Vikings for letting him go? I mean, I guess we'll find out if he signs the Packers, huh? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> we'll see. I mean, the yeah. Giants. The Giants are another landing spot. Uh, he could do a lot. I mean, those are all playoff teams: the Packers, the Giants, uh, the Raiders. When they get there, when they get healthy again, those yeah. are, those are playoff teams. If he wants to go to a Super Bowl. I would think you go Packers or you go Raiders. Hey, Hawk, try to make Raiders that happen, man. Probably...
1: Let's see Let's see if we can get Almond Green on, see if we can get him on to talk about that, exactly what Ferris is talking about. I'm sorry, Ferris, interrupt. What you saying?
2: Yeah, no, that's fine. I just think if, if he wants to go somewhere, if he's got his money, if he wants to go somewhere with a chance to play deep in the playoffs, it's got to be the Packers or the Raiders, because the Raiders probably would have played the Patriots in the AFC Championship game had it not been for Derek Carr getting hurt. I think they were better than Pittsburgh. So yeah, uh, those those two teams, he could be right in it.
1: Speaking of Pittsburgh, they locked up two players long term. Uh, Antonio Brown got a, a four year huge deal, making he's the all time oh. richest uh, wide receiver in NFL history. I know Antonio Brown's good, but it's crazy. yeah, I know four year, four more years on top of the year he already had, Ow. and then they just signed uh, Levy Bell to uh, the exclusive franchise deal, so they just locked him up as well, so nobody can touch him.
2: Do you like that? I mean, that much money for a wide receiver? I mean, I, I mean they're they're starting to command that, but then you look at you look at the, the Super Bowl champions. I mean, yeah. you can't – I mean, not one of their guys would get a contract like no. that. And all they do is catch passes and win Super Bowls.
1: I know. I, I, you know, I thought it was too much money until they started talking about all what Antonio Brown has done over the last few years. He That's led the crazy. league in the uh, receptions over 17 yards. How, you know how many drops he had on balls thrown to him 17 yards down the field? Zero he does not drop the ball man that guy is amazing i knew he was good you know i've I've, I've got to watch several pittsburgh steeler games you know uh, here and there but i've I've got to watch a couple when they were on in the playoffs obviously or on in the late in the season the playoffs but yeah no he is a uh, he's he's a force to be reckoned with and they were given the stats i don't know if he's the greatest worth the most money ever of any wide receiver of all time but uh, he's a good one but uh, that's They've blocked him up, and they've blocked up Bell now. Big Ben's obviously coming back, so they're going to be good for a couple more years for sure.
2: Yeah, it's just a different way of doing things, you know. I mean, they chose to go with the yeah. two big skill guys, and you look at, like I said, you look at the Patriots, who I would think would be the gold standard. They lock up one guy, you know, Tom Brady, and everybody else. Yeah. I mean, Bill Belichick, he'll trade you. He'll, yeah, he'll cut you. Yeah, you no, know? <laughs> I mean, he does not want to get, you know, hurt by oh, I've got so much money in these two positions, you know, so. I don't know. Yeah.
1: So we we see uh, a lot of a lot of things happen in the NFL right now. Hey, uh, you're out there and uh, we're uh, obviously uh, broadcasting in Phoenix, Arizona. Tell us what your Arizona Cardinals are looking like. Any big deals? Any big trades? Anything happened? I haven't seen anything. Any, what's what's on the news out in the uh, Arizona area? Anything?
4: anything about no.
2: Moving? The biggest news is they they just thought that last year was kind of an aberration. Uh, Carson Palmer didn't play well. You know, they've got David Johnson coming back, who's a, you know, probably one of the, him and Le'Veon Bell, the two best running backs in the league. Everybody was just really happy that Palmer decided to come back. And that Fitz came back. So with Fitzgerald coming back and Palmer, they, they kind of almost think we don't really have to do anything to change too much. We just have to, you know, have a better year and, and play better. Uh, that's kind of their thought process. And I really, really like Carson
1: Palmer, and I thought he had a great year, not last year, but the year before. So I think yeah. what he's done for the Arizona Cardinals has been great. But a little piece of me, deep down, wanted him to say he wanted to retire and then Tony Romo go to the Arizona Cardinals. I'm just telling you how cool would that have been. Him and Fitz at the end of their careers lighting it up. Because you know, man, Larry Fitzgerald with Tony Romo at helm, the way he throws the ball, oh, my goodness, that would have been fun to watch. So a little piece we wanted to say, Carson Palmer, hey, hey, give me a hug, man. I'll see you later. Thanks for what you've done for the Cardinals. But uh, let's bring Romo in.
2: Yeah, everybody said, by all accounts, it took him a while to decide that. I mean, Palmer's older. You know, he he got beat up a lot last year. He's not mobile at all. So if the line doesn't block well, he's going down. Yeah. So he thought about it.
1: When we come back here on your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks and that's what you're listening to, we will be right back with Jordy Hackett who is the Grand Canyon University Director of Sports Medicine talking about what's going on out there in Phoenix, Arizona with uh, one of the premier Division 1 uh, programs. We'll be right back with more, more Docs and Jocks on the other side of this commercial break. And there's a fire
4: that I say.
2: That's
1: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. We're coming to you from inside D1 Abilene, Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, if you're just catching our sports medicine show for the very first time. We'd love to have you be part of our show any way you can. That would include on social media. And you can find out how to follow us at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you follow our podcast at docsandjocks, doxnjo I am Dr. Dan, sports medicine physician with Texas and Spine. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, we are very lucky to have online today a good friend of yours, uh, Jordy Hackett. He is the head athletic trainer and director of sports medicine at Grand Canyon University. He works directly with men's basketball. Jordy, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks.
5: No problem. Good to be back.
1: Hey, we've interviewed uh, your head basketball coach there, Dan, Thunder Dan Marley, and man, you got a great uh, program going, had a great year this year. And uh, have you ever seen a season, and Ferris has talked about this on air, where you had so many injuries early on in the season that really was a game changer for Grand Canyon away early on until you got those guys back?
5: Yeah, I mean, the coaches and I have all have uh, a lot of experience, um, even our uh, associate head, uh, Ah, uh, Coach Todd Lee, you know, 25 years coaching experience has never seen this before. I've never seen this at, at the collegiate uh, level. Dan making his transition from pro to collegiate has never seen this. So it was kind of a fluke. Uh, it was really hard to kind of explain why all this stuff was happening, um, but I, I kind of got used to it, and I kind of liked that the team had to fight some adversity this year. Um, As our last year of our reclassification study not being eligible to the postseason, I was just kind of glad to be – we hopefully got all of this adversity kind of out of our way. And it's great preparation moving forward uh, when we're postseason eligible next year.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like when it rains, it pours with regards to the uh, sports medicine world. It seems like uh, some years you'll have no injuries and other years it piles up, just like what you experienced at Grand Canyon University this year. Ferris?
2: Yeah, hey Jordy. No, no. Um, Go ahead. Two, two guys. Two guys we want to talk about. Um, Chianta, or excuse me, Kenzo Nudo, and then Abubakar. First, Kenzo. I mean, both the guys went out with non-contact drills, but Kenzo ruptures an Achilles right before the season starts. And you told me he was on like a six-month protocol, which is very rushed to begin with. And you got him back in four months. Tell us about that injury, about the protocol you put him on, and how you guys were able to get him back so quickly.
5: Yeah, so Kenzo uh, spent a lot of time this summer really working out, really training, coming off of his redshirt season. So he was motivated to to get back uh, to it and, and contribute. So, you know, first day of practice, I mean, it's really kind of a basic type thing. They're just really working on a passing drill. They uh, progress it to where they're getting up and down a little bit and with a plant pivot top. Um Real no explanation to it because of his age. Uh, he's really young. It doesn't really target that audience. Usually, it's more of our you know our generation uh, uh, <laughs> 35, thirty five, forty five weekend warrior Caucasian type. Um, but that wasn't the case. This happened to a very young, healthy individual. Um, so you know it, it's something that potentially was was wrong with the tissue quality, and it was if it if happened during. Something as simple as pivoting for an inbound pass—that puppy was gonna go um, any minute.
1: You know, for our listening audience, an Achilles rupture is really t- a tough injury for any sport, but especially in a uh, up-and-down sport where you're doing a lot of plyometric-type stuff with basketball, because your Achilles tendon—that that tendon down there in the base of your calf. It is, takes about six times your body weight every time you jump up and down on it. So you take a big man like what you're talking about, and he's having to put a lot of pressure, a lot of plyometric, a lot of jumping. And you, six months is kind of hopeful. But, man, you guys got him back in four months, which in the sports medicine world is really unheard of. It's very un, very rare to get him back that soon and that quickly. Talk to us about that rehab program you had him on and how you are able to do that, how are you are able to get him back that soon.
5: Yeah, so we went off of um, an old research article by Dr. Tom Carter. I think it came out. Um, in the 1970s, not to date him or anything like that, but they, they, they showed some um, evidence that uh, if you put the um, patient into uh, early weight-bearing um, directly after surgery, I'm not talking about casts, I'm not talking about putting heel wedges um, into walking, um, walking casts and, and being non-weight-bearing for a period of time, I'm talking coming out of surgery and being full weight-bearing within a few days. Um, they had results to that. There wasn't necessarily a rehab protocol that went along with that research, um, but they showed that they had um, successful results with getting people back to um, 90 ninety two, to 100%. So our goal going into that procedure was, was working off of that philosophy, putting them in a walking boot directly after surgery, um, Work on a six month accelerated rehab protocol and um, try to get them back to a full 100%. Wow.
1: And that was so hey, you followed that, Jordy, and, it, and It was able to work out, huh?
5: Yeah. I mean, you got to remember when you're at this level, you don't go to physical therapy two, three times a week. You go to the athletic trainers six days a week. Um, you know, and the way our philosophy works, if you're not playing, you know, you're rehabbing. So I, I would have Kenzo for two hours a day, and um, you know, if you kind of just look at the mass, um, and if you're rehabbing six six days a week for a month, you know, you just accelerated your rehab by three months. Yeah. So it, it's not it's not necessarily the overall um, time because we we rehab them every day. Right. So what what normally would have taken six months, I got them done within within three months. That's amazing. And then then based off of all of the doctor's evaluation that he's doing clinically, um, it's basically like, okay, show me, you know, a calf raise. It's like, okay, well, uh, this is showing him this amount of quality with a single leg stance, so let's work on that. We know that's going to be the, the test. That's going to be the objective measurement for the doctor. So let's do every exercise to prepare for that. That test, and then he comes back at um, four months, and his follow-up was supposed to be a single-leg hop. You know, in place, uh, administrating not <laughs> only just being able to do that uh, plyometric, but over, also to show uh, the quality of the motion. So I knew it was coming. So we we prepared um, for that actual test. So we got him doing, you know, every calf exercise. Known to mankind, if it's if it was, <laughs> you know, eccentrics if it was um, straight leg bent knee, um, we did it, and we did it for two hours a day. So that's amazing, and, and that that that's a whole other can of worms when you're doing some of those ACL protocols, and you're trying to get back to VMO. You have to simulate the rigors of either ADLs, activities daily living, or that sport, yeah, and basketball. sometimes. The clinicians just aren't pushing the patients hard enough, and they're just not getting the volume. Right, right. So, so, so Kenzo, with the worth work ethic, was willing to put in the time. So you have a compliant patient, and then you have the mentality of the program, and it kind of, it all kind of worked out, and we got him back to ninety uh, percent of his unaffected side with. Multiple uh, functional tests uh, re- uh, revolving around single leg hops for distance, sticking the landing, triple leg hops, zigzag hops. Wow, holy cow. Uh, hop, hops for speed, um, other agility tests were all 90 to 97% that of his unaffected side within four months. Well,
1: well Jordy, he so, was probably just glad to uh, get back to basketball. He probably had a, it felt like his rest after all the rehab you were putting him in. Ferris, you
2: had a question for Jordy? Yeah, Jordy, you said uh, you had a compliant patient, but, I mean, they're D1 athletes. Every one of your patients is compliant, right? They all do exactly what you tell them to do, right?
5: <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, that's why I got in this level, because you would think that everyone has these delusions of grandeur, and, you know, they all want to be pro, and they they, they all have pro-build, pro-genetics, you know, yeah, uh, the work ethic. Not so much, not so much. Uh, I have I <laughs> have other kids, cases right? on my team that I'm not going to allude to that went the other direction, but this is this is a great, successful case. Yeah.
2: Hey, Jordy, let's talk about another guy who the Lopes were counting on, Boubacar Touré, the seven-footer out of Dakar Senegal. Uh, he's been battling injury problems ever since he's been here. When he's on the floor, he's, he's still raw, but just a great athlete and a great specimen. He went down with a knee injury early on. Uh, talk a little bit about that injury and then go right into, um, you know, the next two or three minutes here. Go right into what did you guys find when you kind of started looking back at his history and his his origin, you know, where he came from and that type of thing?
5: Yeah, so this was something that kind of just it was a red flag type case. He came in with bilateral chronic lateral ankle instability. We knew that during our pre-participation physical examination and doctors were like, geez, if this guy rolls his ankle one more time, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to do something about it. And you know, that was the case, you know, there would be Sing.
1: Welcome back to Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. My name is Doc Dan. Comes a lot from inside Docks and Jocks Radio Studio. Hey, if you just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com or you can listen to our show on iTunes on the iTunes app. Just go to Docs and Jocks, D O X N. J O X, and you can download our podcast there, listen to it any time. I want to say thank you to Marriott Hotels. Joe Walker, State Farm, could not do our show here without our wonderful sponsors on Docs & Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We have on air, Ferris, we have online a good friend of uh, Docs & Jocks, been on the show before, 12-year NBA veteran Harvey Ketchins, who was one of the all-time leading NBA shot blockers in the history of uh, NBA. Harvey, thanks for being on Docs & Jocks.
3: I am so excited to spend time with you guys. Thanks a lot, Doc and Ferris.
1: Well, we love talking about uh, basketball. And I tell you what, uh, you're, me and you talked about this uh, off air. You and I are both Harden Simmons University, as I like to refer to it, the Harden Simmons University alumni. And uh, you played basketball Hello. there. I played uh, baseball there back in the day. So it's nice to have another Harden Simmons alumni on. And uh, you're proud of your school right now. They just won the uh, conference and are doing very, very well this year in, the, in uh, college basketball.
3: You know what? And, and, and it's really exciting. I think they ended up, what, 20 and 6? Yes. I know that they were in the tournament uh, in Longview. I, I, I actually thought about going up to check them out, but you know that's a little bit of a jaunt from Houston, Texas.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so you go from Hardin Simmons University and you go to the NBA and play for the Seventy Sixers. And right now, the Seventy Sixers had a little bit of bad news. They uh, lose Ben Simmons for the year. He has a fracture in his foot. He's a big man. He's six foot ten, two hundred forty pounds, and. Man, having uh, taken care of your feet when you're a big man, you're one of the best big men in the game for shot blocking and playing the center position. Tell us what it's like in an NBA career, what it does to your feet and ankles after playing uh, all those years.
3: You know what's amazing, Dan, is that when we played, I was, I was talking to my wife about that this morning. I was looking at she has some Chuck Taylors. Oh yeah. Now, yeah! When you wear Chuck Taylor, they're great-looking <laughs> shoes, but they have zero, zero support. support.
4: <laughs> yes, and
3: that's what we played in. Yeah, and so you know when you talk about you know taking care of your feet, obviously you know when you have time off, you you know you you really have to rest your feet. Uh, but today, with all with everything that they have today, I mean, it's just unbelievable—the facilities, the hardware, the the shoes. I mean. You know, we'd probably be able to play 15, 20 years with uh, a lot of the stuff that they have today.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yes, total difference. Ferris, you have a question? Hey, Harvey, um, yeah, it is funny when you look at the shoes. Now, nowadays, guys get new shoes every game. every game. Did you guys just wear the same pair of uh, Chuck Taylors, like, as long as you could, and then throw them out and get a new pair?
3: Yep. For the most part, I think I, th- I think I averaged about eight, nine games with a pair of shoes. Uh, when Michael was playing, Michael would put on a, a pair of Michael Jordan he would put on a pair at the beginning of the game and yeah. then change at halftime. How would you like to be able to do that for 82 games?
1: <laughs> yeah, You know, what I always wondered about that, though, wearing new shoes. You know, whenever you and I did the same thing growing up, you played with one pair of shoes, you played with them as long as you could. I always felt like yeah. when you broke them in, you had a less chance to have blisters. When these guys wear new shoes every game or every half, it seems like they'd always be dealing with blister problems. I guess they're so perfectly made for their foot that they don't have that issue, but I've always wondered that.
3: And see, that's the thing, because Nike does a great job and designing their shoes. And, and so, you know, uh, they're, they're so soft inside that they basically mold to your foot. So when you're wearing the shoes that they wear now, especially with all the cushion and support that they have, I mean, it's you know, it's incredible. And and you pay for them, too. I mean, shoes, you know, back when I played, you know, Chuck Tateau's at, what, $20, 25 Yeah, we thought
1: that was you a
3: try lot. Try finding a pair of shoes for $25 <laughs> yeah. to play in today.
1: Yeah, That's true. Not going to happen. Yeah, not going to happen. Ferris?
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, you, you make a good point, Harvey. I mean, the the, the shoes, the, the guys fly up there to wherever they get their shoes from, Under Armour, Nike, whoever, and they measure them and make a pair directly for their their foot. And, you know, the big news when Grant Hill came out, and I think he signed with Fila instead of Nike for a couple yeah. of years, and yeah. Fila was still just getting used to making shoes. And a lot of people say that's why Grant Hill had so many injuries early on because he didn't get a a good pair of shoes fit for his foot by Nike.
3: Well, and, and Fila was, you know, trying to to blend into the landscape, but they really did not have the quality to compete on the same level as a, as an Adidas and Nike. And, and you're right. I mean, Grant had a lot of issues, and, you know, he still has issues with his feet. You know, same thing with Bill Walton. You know, he yeah. probably would have been able to play a lot longer had he not worn his feet out. Speaking- you know, and then you take a look at a Yao Ming at 7'6", Oh, uh, yeah. Over 300 pounds, yeah. you know, you got a situation where, you know, you, you, you test the limits on the size of players being able to run up and down the floor. So, in essence, it really is a lot of wear and tear on your feet. So, you've got to have some great shoes to wear. You
4: no, know,
1: you mentioned Bill Walton. I've just been reading a book by John Wooden, and, and uh, Bill Walton is mentioned in there. He talks about the first practice he has at UCLA. Uh, John Wooden sets the whole team down and teaches them how to put their socks and their shoes on correctly to avoid, avoid blisters so they've got to take care of their feet the whole season. I always thought that was an interesting way to start your career with. You know, you think John Wooden would maybe drop a play or a diagram or give you some basketball <laughs> advice, but he told you how to take care of your feet because without them, you're not going anywhere further in basketball.
3: That's true, isn't it, Harvey? And you are not going anywhere. <laughs> and, and 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 it's interesting because even with all that, you know, um, you know, like we were talking earlier, I mean, the support that we that we had back then is is totally different from yeah. what you have today. Absolutely, totally.
1: Hey, you played one of the greatest offensive players of all time with Dr. J, Julius Irving, who I consider the greatest basketball player of all time. But but I may be a little prejudiced because he was my hero growing up. But you know, <laughs> we, we just saw he's the doctor too. Doctor J, man, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. He's the doctor. So uh, the Golden State Warriors last night, and they scored fifty points last night. Put up fifty points against the uh, one of your former teams, the Clippers. Uh, they put up fifty in one quarter. They put up Whoa. fifty points. So, you played one of the greatest offensive players of all time. I mean, tell us what it's like having a team put up fifty points in a quarter, and how hard that is.
3: You know what? Let's let's let, let's take it even a step farther, Dan. Let's take a look at the All Star game the other night. Oh my goodness! One hundred and ninety-two points to yeah. one hundred and eighty-two points. Yeah. You know, I, would, I I never thought that I'd see a a, a a situation where players' skill levels were so advanced that you know they, that they would reach those limits but but they have and and playing with Julius and see one of the things one of the things about Julius is when he came to the NBA he was probably in the middle of his career
1: right yeah played the ABA for I,
3: I, I can't even imagine you know what he was like you know with the New Jersey Nets uh when he you know when he first came into the league uh uh you know I yeah. I I didn't watch uh ABA games at the time but even playing with him at Philadelphia, he still came in. He made a statement. I remember when uh, he was coming on board, uh, George McGinnis was the man in, uh, in, in Philadelphia. And uh, they came to George and they said, George, we have an opportunity to get Julius Irving. And basically, we want your blessings on getting, you know, uh, um, you know going along with the, uh, with the transaction. And George said, hey, you know, if you can get him, get I mean, it would be a great addition to the team. Oh, man, that's but, an understatement. But here's the thing. <laughs> Whether George said yes or no, they were going to get it. They were going to get Julius Mann. <laughs> okay. Yes, right. J, yeah, it's Dr. J. But it was nice that they were courteous enough to go to George and ask.
1: Oh,
4: man, that is, that is
1: incredible. <laughs> 50 points in oh, a quarter. Yeah. Would you still uh, – in fact, I thought the NBA All-Star game, that for me, the uh, – when they started getting close to the 200-point mark, I actually caught, up, I caught myself getting caught up in the game again because, you know, they don't play much defense. It doesn't uh-huh. seem like it's very competitive. But I wanted to see someone get to 200, so that was actually one of the reasons I was watching that game. I wanted to see if they'd reach that 200 mark.
3: And see, that's the other—that's the other thing that kind of draws you in—is that you're sitting, ah, you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I got things to do. Yeah. But then after you see them reaching another echelon, you start saying, "Wow, you know what? Come on, come on!" It's kind of like when you go to a game and they have this deal where you get a free pizza if you score. One hundred and fifteen points. Yeah, right, you know, when yeah, they get right. around one hundred, yeah. hundred five, you know, you're like, come on, you know, everybody gets into the game, and it doesn't matter whether they're beating a team by twenty, thirty, or forty. They want the pizza. They want, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want the same
1: thing. If They scored one hundred and twenty. I think you got a free taco, and I was, I was cheering them on. Man, it was the only reason I was watching the Mavs game. I just wanted the free taco. Hey, speaking of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, we see where they went out and got Nerlens Noel the uh, center from the 76ers, and, uh, you know, there's a time in the NBA now, it seems like uh, people are always talking about big scores, the Steph Currys, the James Harden, the guys who put up a lot of points, uh, the Russell, West, Russell Westbrooks of the world, but you, you forget about that. You still need the big man, and the Mavericks understand that they yeah. have a weak spot inside, and you being a center for 12 years in the NBA, tell us, do you, th- you still think this, the big man, the center, is relevant to the NBA game today?
3: There's no question absolutely, but you know here's the here's the difference in the game today uh compared to back when I played when 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 we played, we had the ball go through the center position, yeah, now the ball goes through the guards, it goes to the forwards, and if it gets to the center, maybe it'll get to the center, but you know um you know that has changed dramatically. Um, Golden State calls it small ball. You know when they have a small lineup on the floor, yeah. and you know what? That's great when you have guys like they have, which are, you know, with Steph and Thompson, who are probably two of the greatest shooters ever to play the game. I mean, ever. Right. I've never seen anything like it in my life, and and I and I've seen great shooters. I've seen the Ricky Pierce's and the, you know, um, um you know, guys like that. But when you talk about the talent that they have with these two guys to be able to, on any given night, put up 25, 30 points each, you know that's a whole different ballgame. And then you add Kevin Durant, right. who has the ability to move like a guard. So they have an interesting lineup. The key component is if you have an offensive center that they're playing against, and it changes the whole dynamic for them, because now they've got to concentrate on the inside, and they haven't right. had to be, and they haven't had to do that. Because teams have kind of gone away from that center slide,
1: right? Does it does it still seem to you uh, almost unbelievable that a guy as big as like LeBron James, who would, in your day would have been a would have been a center? I mean, he's what six nine, huge yeah. body, and how he moves? I mean, that he can move like a point guard, but still uh, have the soft touch on the outside shot, but still post you up inside. He's such a mismatch for everybody.
3: But you know, Dan, the, the, the all these players, you know, when when we played we were solid we were bangers we were you know we set great picks we would pick and roll all these things but today because guys start playing basketball at a younger age because they have all of these skills um um you know clinics and everything that you know going on now and then they have all of the different apparatus if you go into a um if you go into a an NBA practice um facility you'd be amazed at all the different items that they have yeah. that test their body to move, you know, to get them to the next level. So when coaches. you take a look at the fact that these guys can move so, so, you know, so painlessly, yeah. so right. effortlessly uh, throughout the lane and, and, you know, again, I mean, you're right. Take a look at Kevin, Kevin Durant, 7-1. Yeah. Seven one.
4: yeah. Been you a, know, has been the ability
3: center. to finish on the outside in the mid, mid-range, mid, mid-range. And then also take it to the rack. Yeah. So, you know, the game, I, I, I tell people all the time, I say the game is in great hands right now because you have guys that are entertainers, and that's basically what you become at this level.
1: Hey, we're talking to Harvey Catchings here, here on Docs & Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Ferris?
2: Hey, Harvey, you know, things things are kind of cyclical in the game. Do you think we'll ever get back to having some of those great big men? Because, Because I'm like you. I think that's definitely a missing part, throwing the ball down into the post. You can really control the game. And, uh, you know, if if you're playing a team that wants to score 50 a a quarter, you know, you can kind of control the game more with the big men. Do you think we'll ever get back to that? Or or are we just not developing? Because, like you said, everybody starts playing club ball and things, they just want to shoot the three.
3: Exactly. And and that's why I think it's going to be very, very difficult to go back to that because even kids that are 6'5", 6'6", you know, They say, you know, you got to face up and, you know, you got to face the basket, put the ball on the floor to get to the basket. Uh, Nobody's really setting up on the inside anymore. And even as kids are developing, you see it all the time, where kids want to dribble the ball between their legs, behind their backs, and, you know, (laughs) take the three-point shot and work on their game outside because it's tough inside. When you get into that paint area, it's painful down there. There's grown men <laughs> Because down there. Yeah. you know, uh, I remember back when I played, guards did not come inside. They just did not come inside because you know it, it was a written rule. Well, it was an unwritten rule actually, but they wouldn't be able to lay the ball up, and obviously they, there would be no dunks, and you'd end up helping them up off the floor because <laughs> you know you want to send a message. But now, you know, you see guys drive in and dunk on seven-foot centers and, you know, and it doesn't mean anything. You know, for us, it was pride. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Hey, hey, Harvey, do you ever think – I've always toyed with this idea. As the athletes get bigger and faster and stronger and more athletic and all the training they get, do you ever think they'll ever change, like, the dimensions of the court, move the three-point line back, add another 10 feet? I mean, I know they like the game how it is, but – Sometimes it seems like these guys, like we mentioned, LeBron James would be a center, Kevin Durant would be a center, and these guys are sprinting up and down the floor. Do you ever think they'll change the the, the structure of the game at all to accommodate that?
3: Well, I know that they've talked about it. I know that they've talked about extending the three-point line. Uh, you know, the 94 feet. I don't know if they're going to do anything with that or not uh, because then you have to change everything throughout, you know, pretty much throughout America but right. uh i remember when they had to widen the lane because of Will Chamberlain yeah. because he was just dominating and that's another area that they won't have to concentrate on right now because like we've been talking about you know they've gone away from the right. center game so there's not a lot of dominance inside but i don't I, you know I, I think that they probably will extend the uh, three point shot in fact i wouldn't be surprised if they didn't talk about uh, a four point shot Oh, you know, wow. oh, uh, yeah. where guys were <laughs> even farther. I like yeah. the other right. night when LeBron right. took yeah. that, that shot, um, what, about two or three steps from half court and yeah. made it.
1: <laughs> it reminded me of you Metal arc Lemon back in the day. Metal arc Lemon, the Globetrotters, they used to shoot those kind of shots and make yeah. them. That's yeah. what it's turning exactly. into. It's pretty cool. Hey, speaking yeah. of the great uh, Will Chamberlain, uh, you know, he had the all-star game, all-time single game re- uh, point record. But you know, in today's game, he wouldn't get enough touches at center to break that record. So I still no, think it's
3: would. I still think <laughs> no, Will's
1: record. You are right. Hey, we've been yeah, talking but, to Harvey but then Ketch-
3: again. You know what? It, 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 I guess a lot of it depends. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You yeah. Never know,
3: know. once he once he establishes himself, he says, "Hey, you know, oh, give me the ball.
4: Give
1: me the ball. That's right, man. Give the ball." Well, yeah. we've been talking That's to great man. Harvey catchings with the uh, 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Twelve year career in the NBA. Harvey, I want to say thank you from all of us here at Docs and Jocks for coming on the show. We'll have to have you on again real soon. I'll-
3: that sounds great. Thanks guys. I All really right. enjoyed it. All right, thank you. Thanks, we'll be right sorry. back with right. more docs and jocks Bye-bye.
1: after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Doctor Dan. We're coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. If you're just catching your sports medicine show for the very first time, want to find out more about our sports medicine show? You can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, d-o-x-n-j-o-x.com. There, you can also follow us on social media. Follow us on Instagram. Facebook, uh, Twitter, you name it. Man, we'd love to have you be part of the show any way you can. Also, follow us on iTunes at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, on our podcast. I'm joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris, we are very, very excited to have on our next guest. He's a good friend of the show. We've had him on uh, Docs and Jocks before. He has so much knowledge uh, that I really feel like we need to have him back to kind of explore all his years of baseball. And what I'm talking about is Mike Compton. He goes by Compey. Compey, he's really been in baseball, Mike. I think you've been in some form of fashion in baseball, for about 50 years. Do I have that right?
0: That is correct. I first signed in 1965 with the Phillies.
1: Yes, and he went on and had a Major League Baseball career with the Phillies and uh, made it up to the big league club, I know, like in uh, around 1970, and then uh, played several years with the Phillies, and then he went on and he had an illustrious uh, coaching career. That included being the catching coach for the entire Phillies uh, organization, the head catching coach. And I'll tell you what, my son, uh, we've received some videos, instructional videos from Compie, which have been bar none the best I've ever ever seen as far as teaching the game of baseball and especially through a catcher's eyes. So, Mike, without, without further ado, I want to say thanks for being on Docks and Jocks.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be back on your show.
1: Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Uh, recently inducted into the Saul Ross University uh, Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame. So tell us about that and, and uh, tell us uh, what it was like getting inducted into your alma mater's Hall of Fame.
0: Well, it goes without saying what an honor it was to be there. There's, you know, there was a lots of good athletes who have gone through the Saul Ross Hall uh, a lot of good baseball players, but while I was there, you know, they, they really beefed up their football program. They'd won uh, 27 in a row at one time. That's when they were in the NAIA, and they were one game away from winning the national championship there when they were beat by that Linfield College in Oregon. Oh,
1: I know. Linfield's good. There's no, no doubt about it.
0: But they, were, they really have had some good athletes come out of there. So it was a real honor for me to be uh, put into the uh, Hall of Honor there.
1: Well, you know, uh, Copy, this time of the year has to be special for you. This is the time of the year all us baseball fans get excited. You know, all our, we always think our teams are the uh, team that's going to win it that year. You have been with the Philadelphia Phillies for all those years, went to a lot of spring trainings, obviously. So tell us what it's like uh, being with the big league club, both as a player and as a uh, manager coach, uh, going to a spring training each year.
0: Well, it's obviously certainly exciting. You uh, I think one of the things I always looked forward to was getting to see the new players come in that we had traded for. You know, there's so much transition in baseball nowadays. When I was playing, you actually were obligated to the team for at least 6 years. Uh so you you know that being bound it was a little bit different, but now, you know the players move around so much. So each year you know you see the trades and you 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 know of the players but you don't really always know about their personalities and how they're going to fit and all that. So uh, the first few days is just getting to know everyone. And the pitchers and catchers always arrive early for about four days. And so that's when I really got to do a lot of instruction – at that time and then after uh man, i always worked with the catchers and i always handled the pitchers, the pitchers bunting <laughs> yeah as i got older they <laughs> got me got me down in the cage with the pitchers and and the bunting machines. Yes. they <laughs> kept me out of harm's way i think
1: and they still <laughs> mess it up and the pitchers still mess it up all that spring training on the bunts and then you get into a game yeah. and it still seems like they mess it up so ferris you have a question yeah. for copy Hey, Compi, So, is it is it true,
2: man? Every time you go to to spring training, all those years, you're always like, "Hey, this could, this could be our year." Did you ever walk into a spring training and think, "Ah, we probably don't have the team," or was it always like, "Hey, we could do it this year if we just put everything together?"
0: Well, i I, I think you're. I think what happens when you when you know you've got a young a young team, you know you're probably not going to to win that year. It, it seems like it's, it's 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 kind of convoluted in, in sports. You, you as you not doing well in the big leagues, you start getting the high draft choices. Yeah, and then obviously you know a number one is a different player than a thirty one in most cases in the draft, and so you start getting getting those high profile picks, and then at a, and after about three or four years of that <clears throat> and a couple of trades then now you've got a contender. So I think you really realize how you rank in the draft and all. And and then injuries can always play a big factor, too, because yep. you can make some big trades and, and then have your number ones have developed and they're ready to go. And you get up there and you have about three injuries to key players. And, I mean, your season's just devastated. It's just It's Boom, it's gone. Yeah. So yeah, there's so many intangibles, but I think you're always you're, you're optimistic that you're going to do well. But if you're realistic, you just you're just building, trying to get, trying to get experience for that shortstop that's just came up from AAA and a couple of of uh, the arms just come up from AAA and you're just hoping to get them some innings and get some experience and they can get a little more command of the pitches and so um, that, that's kind of how it goes. You know what And then you sometimes you get surprised, boy. I tell you what, sometimes those kids uh, they come on they come on fast. You think, well, wow, oh, man, this kid doesn't need much exactly. development.
1: Well, copy. You know, one of the things that gives the Phillies hope is when you have a pitcher named Roy Holiday. You need to, you need to have a new, another one of those.
0: Oh man! <laughs> God, what a what a talent yeah. and what a fine and what a fine human being. Oh my yeah. gosh. Hey, speak- human being.
1: I thought of you. Uh, I was watching uh, the Phillies yesterday in spring training, and immediately when I saw the Phillies, I, I think of you, Compia, because that's where you uh, spent your career in, the- in Major League Baseball. But I also saw suddenly a catcher that stood out named Cameron Rupp, their uh, Phillies catcher. And he's a big guy, he's a big, athletic looking guy and he, he was making the catching job look so so easy. He, he threw a perfect, perfect throw, and I sent you the video uh, throwing a guy out of second base, and then he fielded a bunt like he came sh- shot out of a cannon. He fielded a bunt and did a great job, and I thought, man, that's a guy that Compey had to work with. And sure enough, you'd actually worked with Cameron uh, coming up through the Phillies organization, and they uh, had you turn him around.
0: Well, that is correct. You know, for the people in your listening audience that don't know this, Cameron started four years for the University of Texas and yeah. and we got him in high in the draft and he came to us and you could tell he had a lot of talent and, and, and he's a big person too. He's like probably 250, 260 pounds, big what guy, you really yeah. need to be. I tried to play it around 195 to 200 and I'm telling you, it was rough. It's yeah. like a small running back in the NFL.
4: Yeah.
0: You can play, but the beating just gets you. Well, big old Cameron, he reported, and you could tell he had, he had tools, but not a lot of skill yet. And, and, I think he – I know he's told me this before, and I've heard him tell some other media. Two years ago in the season, the off-season between 2014 and 2015, we brought Cameron into our big complex, our training complex in Clearwater, Florida in the off-season. And Cameron – I lived there. And so Cameron and I worked out at least five days a week. We wow. usually gave him the weekends off. And he was doing some other conditioning work with the conditioning people. And then he and I, every day, worked at least two hours a day on catching skills. And then later that year, during that season, he got called up to the big leagues. And, and I, you know, he's told me, and I heard him tell press, that that was the turning point in his career. That time that we spent, like, three months in the off season, just going over skill work just over and over and over. And uh, he really... Became a pretty skillful guy. I, I know the scout that signed him said, Mike, I I, I don't even recognize him anymore. So, uh, boy, But he's a great worker and a great person. I love him to death. And hey, he's reaping the rewards of all of the effort that he put in.
1: Absolutely. You, you know you're doing a good job when the commentators in the spring training game stop and they tell you – the catcher just threw a fundamentally perfect throw to second, and they showed his footwork. They showed how his head was moving forward, not up, didn't stand up. He kept his knees balanced. His throw was spot on, the, On, and they broke it down on this is how you want to do it. So that speaks a lot to you, Compi, that when he's uh, talking to Cameron Rupp about that, really they're talking to his uh, coach, uh, you, when they're doing that great job. And it's, it's just funny. I got to watch that game yesterday, and I immediately thought of you. And we are talking to Mike Compi Copton, a 50-year Major League Baseball veteran with the Philadelphia Phillies, both as a player and as a coach. Farish, you have a question for
2: him. Yeah, Compi, I'm just wondering, you know, this Phillies squad, as you mentioned, might not be, you know, they might be a few more years off, but they're very young. How much does it help the fact that you've got a young catcher who's learning the game and who'll get a chance or has gotten a chance, even in the minors, to work with a lot of these young pitchers? They're going to kind of grow up together over the next couple of years.
0: Well, I... I think you know. There's so much. There's so much tutoring going going in sports now. Those those young fellows, um, they catch up fast on the mental part of the game. Really, uh, it's it's a whole different thing than when I was playing. Uh, you you have a lot more video and studying of the opposition than we ever did. When I played. We just had a little team meeting, the pitchers and the catchers, and we'd go over a little bit. And maybe the maybe the players are being part of it, deciding how we're going to pitch and play a guy. But it's so much more involved. It, it, it's like the pitchers and the, and the catcher catching staff. Usually there's two of them. They they go over so much detail. I, I, sometimes I coached football a little bit in the public schools in Texas. And I remember how we used to always on Sundays we'd go over all the game films and everything of the team that we were going to play and all in our game team. It's gotten to that point. There's so much stuff that's on the computer now that they don't miss a trick. I mean, you know, you know how they're playing the shifts and all that. We never played those kinds of shifts as, as a whole. We played some shifts, but not not like they are now. So it's it's really a different. Different game, and, and uh, there's somebody there all the time with that computer. They go, they literally go in between at bats. And go into the, the film room oh that's behind the dugout and watch how they yep. hit the yeah. last time and, and that. So it's it's a different ball game.
1: That is, hey, Combi, you know all the time you spend in the big leagues uh, following catchers and working with catchers. If you had to build your prototypical catcher, if you could just say I'm, I'm I'm God, I can build a prototypical perfect catcher. How tall would he be? How big would he be? Give us some of the skill sets he would have.
0: Well, he, he's going to be six feet two hundred to two ten that's that's the best for me, the prototype um you're not too big, but you're big enough to take the beating. There are some fellows that that are such monsters that it's a little bit difficult for them to move quick enough yeah uh, in that position so six feet two hundred to two ten is is a good size, and with good bone structure, normally someone is six feet two ten has got some decent bones because it, it, well, we certainly weren't protected quite like they are protected now. I mean, right. those guys tried to put us in the third row, and usually, at my body size, they put me in the third row. <laughs> so it's a, it's a it's a little bit different now. They can't take target practice at you, so that helps. So you want to be but really would be,
1: uh, really would be athletic and agile? Is that the next characteristic you would have? The perfect catcher?
0: Yes, you well, you've got to be able to receive the ball. Um, I think there's there's certain things there in receiving the ball. Good vision, um, yeah. Good vision is important because listen, if you can't see that spin on that ball, yeah, you, you, it's hard to catch. It really is. Right. And when and when you're trying to catch velocities like they're throwing now, that that hundred mile an hour stuff, I tell you, it, it gets there pretty quick. And I'm, I can remember, I caught some guys throwing that, around that hundred, and if I was low and outside and they threw it. Up and into the guy, and I just turn headed for the screen because you can't draw leather on it. It's, it's by you so fast, right? I mean, right. it's just remarkable. So you, you got to be able to see that ball, and we spend an awful lot of time in, in receiving, learning how to catch it. But other than that, you, to me, you you need arm strength. Um, I always said I, I can teach a quick release. I taught it for years. I converted right. so many third basements to catching yep. It had a long, a long release, uh, but I couldn't teach them to throw hard. That's, that's like running speed. I can teach you running form, but I can't teach you speed. Only the good Lord gave you that. And so I just told let me have some arm strength. I can make him faster. Yeah. And if he's got good eyes and he's not afraid to catch, they were down. There was times that they said, Hey, we're going to convert this guy convert this guy and i say two things you better ask him first if he wants to and number two we got to see if he can get behind the plate some people cannot keep from turning their head it's like putting a person that's claustrophobic in a small space (laughs) they're not going to stay there right and they literally i'm telling you you cannot break them of the habit of turning the head oh i learned a long time ago that uh, i've had them get hit right in the ear i mean no, no no so i learned Different methods of breaking them in to make sure that he wasn't going to turn his head. Yeah. We had a little a, a, a way so he wasn't going to get hurt because people can't do it. Some people just cannot shut keep from shutting their eyes and turning their head.
1: Right, right. Fair. I think we got one more minute here. Uh, Copy. Yeah. Fair. You yeah. hey, last sure. question.
2: Rocky, real, real quick. You said six foot two hundred, two hundred and five, uh, and Johnny Bench was about six foot one
0: and about one ninety seven. Did you just kind of describe the ultimate catcher
4: right there? <laughs> just with describe Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench.
0: Well, <laughs> hey, you. Know, it's funny you should say that because I was thinking of John. Um, you know, we played against each other, and then when I was in Cincinnati, I was over there, I was taking John, John and I went through drills, I have taken oh, wow. actually taken John through some drills, so oh, that's, awesome. that's actually who I was thinking about oh, when you were Oh, that's playing perfect, that. man. <clears throat> he was pretty good, he was pretty hey, good. He was a pretty good one. Hey, let, hey, let me tell you, something. let me tell you how good John was, I was taking them through some drills in spring training uh, after I'd become a coach, and it was an agility drill. And uh, John was the oldest guy in spring training at the time. He was uh, on the catcher. He was about 36, maybe 37. And, of course, I had some of those kids that were like 18 to 25 through there. And on this agility drill, John still turned in the best time on that agility drill oh wow hey those hall of famers have a different (laughs) gear let me tell you they do an (laughs) absolutely different gear
1: well i tell you what copy want to say thank you for coming on docs and jocks i never feel like it's enough time you have so much knowledge and so much wisdom uh, playing in the big leagues and coaching the big leagues for nearly 50 years not many people on planet earth can say they spent their entire life in the big leagues like you did and if anybody deserved it you did hey want to say uh, congratulations on your saul ross university hall of fame induction and uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon thank you so much for coming on docs and jocks
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks, guys, for having
1: me on. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more of your sports medicine show, Docs and Jocks, after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time. You can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, find out more about myself, Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, we just came off a great interview there with uh, Mike Compton. One of my favorite things to do, and probably my overall Favorite reason we started this show eight years ago, however long it's been now, is that we had to talk to people who had 50-year baseball careers and guys who played football back in the 60s and put their helmet in their back pocket after college practice. I love talking to the guys who have been around and have wisdom. My Compton interview, that's that's the reason I love doing Docs and Jocks. I really do. There's lots of other reasons, but that's one of the top ones.
2: It's always fun when you talk to these old-time guys, for lack of a better term, and you say – Hey, what about Johnny Bench? He's pretty good. Oh, I had coffee with him. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, trained him. Oh, we used to go out after and <laughs> eat steak together. You're like, well, are yeah, you freaking kidding? Yeah. Johnny Bench? He, you know, that's just awful. Yeah, you
1: know you're good when you are giving, uh, you're doing drills, catching drills with Johnny Bench. When you're the guy that's in charge of trying to get Johnny Bench to be a better catcher, you know you're a good right. catcher. So if you ever yeah, miss one of those interviews bad. and want to go back and follow one of those or catch one of them, like the Mike Compton one, if you missed it. Uh, you can do so by going to uh, jocks dot com, d o x n j o x. dot com, and you can listen to those interviews anytime, anywhere you want. Or like the one we had with. Uh Uh, jordy hackett uh, earlier on in the show man all those interviews are a lot of fun talking to guys who've done it for a long time whether athletic trainers or major league baseball players man it's a blast uh doing that so hey, do want to say thank you to wonderful sponsors of this segment including abilene sports medicine and orthopedics dr funk dr deprang and dr maroney as well as west texas neurosurgeons doctors trammell dr brown and dr edelman couldn't do our our show here without our wonderful sponsors so i want to give a big shout out to them and uh, we will have to get yeah go ahead ferris
2: now, I was just going to say another thing. A lot of folks driving around listening or listening to the podcast, they're like, well, you know, I might not ever get to be a professional ball player. Right. I might not make it there. But you look at a guy like Compi. Yes, great example. He played example. One, you know, one year, great point. right? I yeah. mean, he got one year in, but he spent 50 years in the business. Yes. Loved. There's a lot of other things you can do. Yeah. If you love something, if you love the sport, you can do everything from like Jordy did. He, loved, he, was, a, he was a D1 athlete, Jordy Hackman. I don't know. He was a D1 athlete. But, you know, at, at some point, he's not playing anymore, so now he's around athletes all the time, and he, does, yeah. he takes care of him in medicine. So, I, you know, the copies thing, you don't have to be Johnny Bench to be in baseball for 50 years. Yeah, you know? great point, great point. Yeah, most here's of us aren't.
1: Yeah, because he, I love that he always says it. He says, I was too little to play catcher. I just had enough heart. They finally let me play. But, you know, <laughs> right. and he said they tried to knock me in the third row, and in my case they did because I was that small. Yeah, he was an undersized catcher. But he got in because of an injury. You know, the guys in front of him got injured, so he got to come up and get his chance. And stuck with the Phillies for a year, and then he was with the Big Red Machine for a while. So, yeah, like you said, you could, there's lots of things to do. I was a former Division One athlete who uh, decided to go on and get my uh, medical degree, and and uh, became still still involved with sports with sports medicine. So there's a whole sports medicine field out there where you still be dealing with athletes, still yeah. still be involved in the game, but you're just doing it from a different standpoint. So whether it's a uh, you know, a sports medicine physician, a athletic trainer, a physical therapist, a coach, a manager. Man, you name it, there's lots of great professors. Or like Ferris yourself, a sports broadcaster. What a great profession that is. Man, you're going to be around athletes, talk about athletes, interview athletes all the time. I mean, uh, you're on... Uh, with Grand Canyon, you're talking to Dan Marley, who played you know, with the Phoenix Suns all the time. He's the head basketball coach out there. and The head baseball coach, Andy Stankiewicz, was with the New York Yankees. So, man, you're still getting a deal with a lot of fun people and around a lot of fun people all the time. Did an Arizona Diamondbacks game the other day. Tell us about that. You did the Arizona Diamondbacks, Grand Canyon University. They played each other, and you got to go out there and interviewed the uh, CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, no, it's really cool. The, the Diamondbacks decided that uh, they would play all three. There's three D1 universities in, in Arizona that play baseball. And they said, hey, let's do the D-backs collegiate challenge. So their very first game, about four or five days before their first official spring training game, they, uh, three years ago, two years ago, they played ASU. Last year they played U of A. This year they played us. Next year, they'll go ASU, then U of A, then we'll get to play them again. Yeah. And they might re-up it, they might not. But, yeah, it's a great. I mean, we had a freshman pitcher out of Snowflake, Arizona, and uh, he started for us. First start is a GCU career. And it's an exhibition, so it doesn't count. But his first start, he faced uh, A.J. Pollock, Brandon Drury, and Paul Goldschmidt. You know? and
4: it's like, <laughs> I
2: mean, that's just a great you Go know, big or go home, baby. <laughs> yeah. And then Jake Lamb, right? Yeah. It was fun yeah. for the guys. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you one thing. Tyler Wyatt, who was Mr. Mr. Arizona, Mr. Arizona baseball player of the year two yeah, years ago. Right. Last year pitched and everything for us. Great ball player. The difference between college and pro, he ripped one down the line and left. Stand-up double in NCAA. And NCAA's got really good players. Stand up double. The left fielder got in the corner and threw him out by a step and a half. Going <laughs> a second, a
1: yeah.
4: welcome, that would have been a stand up. Welcome double. to the big they league, son. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and it
2: was fun because the left fielder and the center fielder. After he did it, they were just out there laughing and joking. Like that kid thought, "What do you think? Did he think I was not a
4: college
2: player? Knew <laughs> yeah. about my step and a half. It was just an absolute BB." I was like, "Well, welcome well, to the welcome well, to the show, pal. Welcome to
1: the show, kid. That's yes, exactly right, man. What a great experience for those young players to get to go out and play their Arizona Diamondbacks. I can't imagine being your pitcher, your very first very first appearance, your patient facing, facing Paul Goldschmidt. Good lord, man! Yeah. They had to be." Uh, had to be intimidating, wow. Yeah,
2: yeah. He did a good job though. Throws yeah. through strikes. Goldie got on with a catcher's interference and immediately came out of the game. But, um, but it was fun. Some of the guys, you know, got a got a strikeout every now and again, and but just a chance to be on that field. It's a great Salt oh, River yeah. Field. And then Derek Hall came by and chatted. Great guy. Um, and the Diamondbacks. Derek Hall is the CEO know,
1: of uh, the Diamondbacks, right? The yeah, owner the, CEO of the
2: Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. he. I was talking to him, you know, he actually was Vin Scully's boss because he was director of communications out at the Dodgers for a while. And he said on the air, he said, yeah, I, I told Vin Scully all the time. Um, I'm the only boss that could get fired by a subordinate. Cause if you said the <laughs> word, I'd be out of here. And Vin would just laugh and say, "Oh no, Derek, you're great. Whatever." Oh, that's funny. But uh, you know, what background in baseball, that is to be work with Vin Scully for a couple of years, and yeah. then do a drive time show. And play, and then he came over. And now he's president, and CEO of the D-backs.
1: Man, they don't make many more like uh, Vin Scully. I tell you what, the uh, announcers. I guess it's because I'm old. I'm, I I I miss the uh, Jack Bucks, the Vin Scullys of the world. Uh, who's the uh, Was it Red Barber with the Yankees or Detroit? I can't remember who he was with. But there's some of those those announcers that are moving on. Ernie Harwell was with Detroit. Ernie Harwell, that's what I was trying to think of, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are moving on, man. We're losing them one. Seems like about one a year now. Seems like we're always losing one. Jack Buck, Ernie Harwell, now Vince Scully's, uh, called it quits.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good broadcasters out there. I was actually listening to some tapes of some really young guys that are still in college. And I was really impressed because this one kid's a senior. At a school in the Midwest, and I was listening to his tape because uh, I was doing volleyball for the first time. I was like, well, I'll watch him do it. And I started doing some research. You know, the kid's a, a, a senior in college, 22, he's already done three years of minor league play by play. I'm like, holy cow, these wow. kids are serious, and he was really good. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I think there's a lot coming up, but you're right. I mean, everybody's got their guy that they like yeah. you, the Cardinal guy. I mean, yeah. Buck's the best, right? right. And he's it's arguably he is, but for you, it's like, hey, that's the guy. If I yeah. can listen to one guy the rest of my life, it'd be that it'd guy. It'd be Jack you Buck,
1: know? yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Something about that, a voice you hear growing up and – I guess they still do it, you know, because they mainly listen to TV now. But, uh, you know, I guess radio somewhat by, I guess that's uh, old school a little bit, you know, get to hear radio. But I still love nothing better than a good play-by-play radio guy that can bring the game to life. And I get to uh, now listen to Ferris. I get to listen to you. uh, My son and I like to listen to Grand Canyon University games, so I get to listen to play-by-play. But I enjoy that still. You bring the game to life. You know, you're not there. You're not watching it. You're seeing it through the eyes of the sportscaster, the sports broadcaster who's bringing you that game. And I think you do a great job at it. And I think baseball is one of the unique sports where you have enough time to really tell a story, and you do that well between innings. You kind of build the story. You tell what's going on, and it's, and it's a unique sport in that way that there's time to do that. You don't really have that in volleyball or baseball or uh, football or basketball. Right. Show, it's such a fast-paced sport, but is baseball the one you enjoy calling the most?
2: Yeah, I mean, baseball is a lot of fun, and, and, it, and it is that way. I mean, I think, I think with baseball, too, you can have it on in the background while you're out in the shop or you're mowing your yard yeah, right. or you know, you, you know, with football, a play happens, and it could be a really big play. And like, oh, did I miss that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but in baseball, you can kind of just, you know, and then the announcer gets excited. Like, oh, what just happened, you know? And you can have conversation. And so I think baseball lends itself to radio play-by-play better than anything because, quite frankly, not that they're not athletes in baseball, but, I mean, basketball and football are fun to watch because, like, you know, you want to watch Julio Jones make yes, that catch on the sideline right, right. as opposed to hear about it. But if you hear about, you know, the big home run that Pujols hit to win or that freeze hit to, you know, to get him back. Oh, I hate, sorry, all the you Texas Rangers fans, <laughs> no, but, yeah. you know, if you hear that, yeah. that's almost just as exciting. Cause in your mind, you paint this picture of something like that, you know? Yeah. So I think baseball lends itself to radio play by play more, but you're right. Everybody wants to watch everything now. And, um, and so some of those play-by-play guys are, are going by the wayside, but there's still some really good ones out there. Ferris Hawk,
1: our producer here, was uh, looking down at his phone as every uh, you know less than 35 year old does nowadays. They so just look at the phone until you said the word David Freeze and home run, and then he popped his head up. He heard did those he, words intently.
2: Did he throw his phone against the wall? Just about. He gave stick-
1: me the look, like he <laughs> said, "You're off the Christmas card list." Christmas card uh, list. Uh, look, yeah. Hey, a couple big stories in the news in the sports medicine news right now. Probably the biggest one that's breaking is uh, man. Uh, Golden State's Kevin Durant. That even sounds strange saying that, by the way. I almost said yes, OKC uh, is Kevin Durant. But Golden State's Kevin Durant uh, goes to play against the Wizards. And uh, Washington, D.C. is where he's from. And he said uh, he had some comments for his hometown about, I've moved on. I needed to go make my own, uh, you know, find another place, moved on. Basically, it was a little bit, uh, if you took it the wrong way, could have been a little bit disparaging to his hometown. But anyway, his first time back. Uh, with Golden State back playing Washington, and he ends up hyperextending his knee. And what he did was he injured the medial collateral ligament, the ligament on the inside of your knee. You have one on the inside of your knee. Remember, a ligament is what holds one bone to another bone. And so you have your big bone called your femur, and it is attached to your tibia by some ligaments. And one of them on the inside of your knee is your medial collateral ligament, and the one on the outside is called your lateral collateral ligament, sometimes referred to as your fibular collateral ligament. But uh, the one on the inside is the one he sprained, And he also, when he did so, he came down the two bones. When his knee uh, went out of that position, they clunked against each other, and he gave himself a bone bruise. So he has a bone bruise. And he has a medial collateral ligament sprain. We don't know the degree. Typically, if you have a bone bruise with a medial collateral ligament sprain, it's usually a more higher-end sprain because it means the ligament had to give way enough that those bones clunk together. So probably you're looking at a grade 2, maybe a grade 3 three MCL sprain and a bone bruise. So he's probably out four to six weeks, which if you're looking in the terms of the basketball season, man, he's right at the playoffs and uh, they're going to need him if they're going to make a deep run, like they did. Uh, you know, I mean, Golden State's good either way, but they're going to need Kevin Durant this year for sure if they're going to make, uh, you know, beat, beat the, uh, beat the King. So, anyway. Yeah.
2: Do you? I mean, do you think that? I mean, providing his rehab, everything goes well will he be able to be back and be productive in the playoffs, or will he still be – I mean, he's going to be out of basketball shape, and there is a difference between shape and basketball shape. Yeah,
1: you're right. I think he can be because your medial collateral ligament isn't one of those ones that when you heal from it, typically it isn't one that lingers. It isn't one that every time you move a certain way it bothers, like your ACL ligament, which is a very big stabilizer on the inside of your knee. Typically, once your medial collateral ligament sprain heals and the bone bruise, hopefully heals without – other further insult or injury to the knee, He uh, those kind of injuries, once they're done, they're done. And you're able to go back and play with confidence yeah. on it. I don't think it's going to be like uh, we see with ACL injuries and the Derrick Rose saga that went on for, you know, like 16, 18 months. So I think he'll be able to get back. Now, can he stay in shape? <laughs> right. Typically, you can with a medial collateral ligament sprain. You can do things like ride a stationary bike, as long as you're moving forward and not side to side. The one thing that's going to be a little bit of a limiting factor right now is he has a bone bruise with it. But as long as he's not doing high impact activity and he's doing forward straight activities, I think he'll be able to keep himself in shape. And they're going to come up with all kinds of different unique ways of doing that. Whether it's you know pedaling a bike using your arms, you know that one really gets your heart rate up fast. Uh, they'll be doing things where he eventually rides a stationary bike. He's doing low impact type activities. I guarantee they'll eventually have him in a pool doing aquatic exercise where he's running in the pool, but not doing any impact on the knee itself. Those are the types of exercises you'll typically do when someone has a bone bruise, or, or you need to decrease the impact on the knee. You'll put them in like a vest in the water, in an aqua vest, and so their feet are up off the off the bottom of the pool. And Kevin Durant's case is going to have to be a, a deep, deep pool, so he's seven <laughs> foot. So, but they'll have him then do full on running. You can do full on running. As long as you're going straight, not side-to-side side with a medial collateral ligament injury, and you can really keep your cardiovascular shape uh, while you're healing from this injury. But they're going to have a whole athletic training staff working to keep Kevin Durant in shape and ready for the playoffs when he comes back.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, they can still make a deep run and maybe beat LeBron James without him. But, man, you... you to- I mean, they they also cannot. I mean, they they yeah. probably should have lost two years in a row. I mean, if they hadn't had those injuries, LeBron yeah. would have probably have been back to back championships. So, yeah, he's the guy they need. I mean, definitely. Yeah,
1: he is the great equalizer for sure. mean, I tell you what, I talked uh, we talked about uh, Seth Curry and his 50 points in the quarter and them going off for 50. Uh, what was that? About a week ago. Well, yeah. Then the next game, he uh, sets a record for the most three points attempted in a game and not making one. He's like 0 for 11. He was like so <laughs> off. It was terrible. It was like when watching him I was like, Man, I wonder if his vision's off or he had a concussion or something, man. It he just could not make he couldn't make anything. It was crazy. O for eleven and but you know, you got Clay Thompson, you got Seth Curry you got Draymond Green, and you need, I think, the key, the linchpin, the difference maker in this year as compared to last year is Kevin Durant. And him having this injury is not an opportune time. But it's never an opportune time to have an injury to your key player. And so you got to get a little bit lucky. We talk about that here on Docs and Jocks all the time. But I would guess he's going to be out about four weeks, which puts him right at playoff time and ready to go. So they, I think they'll get him back in time. The question well, is, once again, team chemistry would be the question. But, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think they'll be okay in that situation. You know, with Steph, it's interesting because I'm a, I'm always a firm believer in you always regress or you, you you move up to the mean, you know. And so if you're a 38% or a 40% three-point shooter and you have a couple of days where you shoot 60, you're probably going to shoot 30 a couple of yeah. days, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's they're, they're averages for a reason. The trick is is. You know, can you get into that groove like in the playoffs and shoot 50, 55 percent for a full week of the playoffs and win yourself, you know, a a round or something. Right. And wait, you know, and then you have a really bad regression or something later. But it makes a big difference, especially uh, not only in the
1: NBA, but also in the fantasy world. Hey, we've got about a minute here. Uh, Tell us the next 20 seconds or so about your fantasy sports show that's uh, aired in Phoenix as well.
2: Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona, fifteen eight of the fanatic uh, ninety nine point three. Also, but just go to www.fantasybaseballwrap.com dot com and uh, check out our website. Sign up for the uh, email list, and we're going over all the different divisions, which is fun because we get to talk. We're talking you know, about the NL East and uh, you know the uh, AL East, and those are divisions I don't typically follow because I'm a Royals fan. But it's fun to start looking at some of the young players and how they're going to do and where you can get them late in the draft. So you, by doing fantasy baseball, if you're really serious, you really learn a lot about guys you would never would have looked at before. And that's what Docs cool. and
1: Jocks is good for, too, as well. We give you those injury updates, like the one you just heard on Kevin Durant. It's probably going to be out about four weeks or so. Uh, there's another big one with Joel Embiid now. He's going to be out with Meniscus tear, missing the rest of the season. So it makes a big difference in fantasy sports, uh, getting your Docs and Jocks injury update here. Hey, we'll be right back with more yep. Docs and Jocks after yep. this short commercial yep. break.
4: And a fire that I will say. That's
1: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Great to have you with us today. Just catch our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about your sports medicine radio show? You can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D O X N J O X.com, or you can go to iTunes app. Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, listen to our show anytime at your convenience. Do want to say thank you to all our wonderful sports our sponsors, including uh, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, as well as uh, Melton Chiropractic and Texas Sport and Spine. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Uh, my co-host each week, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, it's been a great show this week. Man, I always love talking sports medicine. I always love having uh, great guests come on and give us uh, their opinions on what's the newest, latest, greatest treatments uh, in the sports medicine world. But, uh,
2: been, man, it's been a fun show. Yeah, you know what's great about our show is all the other just general sports shows. They love it when athletes do stupid, crazy stuff because it gives <laughs> gives them something to talk about. We don't have to talk about the dumb stuff athletes yes. do because there's, there's always injuries we yes. can talk about, always. and there's always like there's always an injury, and then there's always a comeback story. Yes. And comeback stories are much more fun than oh the guy got out of jail. Let's see what he can do now. You know, yeah. this is a talking about Eric Berry coming back, talking about that. AP coming back, talking about comeback stories is much more fun than the other stuff out there. Absolutely.
1: we've had some great inspirational stories over the years. If you ever want to go back and listen to those interviews, the interviews we've had with uh, like uh, Terry Don West a bull rider who came back from getting gored <laughs> by a bull, you can go do that at D o x n j o x dot com, and you can listen to us uh, on our uh, uh, website or on our iTunes app. So be, uh, be, be free, feel free to go do that. Hey, uh, Ferris, I thought we'd uh, close out the show here talking about some of the uh, great uh, sports medicine injuries. But before we do so, tell us what uh, Grand Canyon University, you're the sports broadcaster there, tell us what uh, they're up to and what they're uh, doing this week with the baseball program kicking off and uh, all the basketball program finishing up.
2: Yeah, baseball program, uh, three-game series up at St. Mary's, and they come back home uh, for a three-game series against San Francisco University next weekend. Uh, Basketball, uh, one more game in the regular season and then kind of got to wait. Still not eligible for the tournaments but probably will go to the CIT, CBI, maybe another tournament. But just kind of basically after the game this weekend, just have to sit and wait and see what happens. Um, and then softball. Ann Pearson, you know, she started the program in her 14th year at the helm, got her 600th win. And uh, she's 16 – or, sorry, 400th win. And she's 16-1 uh, and one now. The only loss was at number 22 Baylor at the time. Wow, so, man. Uh, yeah, so she's got an amazing program going on down there um, in, uh, in softball right now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch how that, that Grand Canyon University's really taken off. Hey, I do want to give a big throwout to my alma mater, uh, Hardin-Simmons University. Their men's basketball team won the American Southwest Conference, and they are now uh, in the tournament playing for the uh, Division Three basketball title. So give, I want to give a big shout-out to the Hardin-Simmons University Cowboys and Coach Craig Carson who's been a, been a guest here on Docs and Jocks. Yeah.
2: You know, I thought about you and the Hardin-Simmons because I was doing at GCU-TV, I was doing uh, the Lopes men's volleyball hosted Ohio State. Ohio State is the number one team in the country, coming off a uh, a a national championship last year. They're they're forty eight and three in their last fifty matches. Wow! They've won forty matches in a row. They beat us twice. We were the only team to take them to a fifth set. No team had won two sets from them all year. Uh, But we took them to a fifth set. We lost. They are a juggernaut. They're they're the only the sixth team in men's volleyball history at the D one D two level to win forty in a row. But I thought of you because. When I would announce them, I would say Ohio State, Ohio State, and I'd say the Ohio State just every once in a while. The fans <laughs> yeah. at Columbus, I thought, oh, the Harden-Simmons, too. Those yeah. are the only two I seasons. thought you were thinking of them
1: because uh, the Harden-Simmons University men's football team, the football team has been the winningest football team uh, over an entire decade at any level, the winningest football team if you take uh, just percentage of wins. I thought that was why you were talking about them them and Ohio State together. That that, that too. Both. <laughs> both Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, other sports going on right now, I mean, uh, we see a big injury to uh, the Toronto Raptors uh, star point guard, Kyle, Kyle, uh, Kyrie Lowry. Uh, he is out with a wrist injury right now, and uh, he is going to be out it's Kyle Lowry. He's going to be out for uh, the rest of the season with a wrist injury. I thought this would be an important injury to talk about because they talk about in the uh, article that we read uh, why he's out for the season. And he played this with the uh, injury, with his wrist injury in uh, the All-Star game. But they said they're going to take out loose bodies. So I thought I would talk about what loose bodies are. Because when you read an article and they talk about removing loose bodies, you know it sounds like you've got some little dead people in there floating around. It's yeah. kind of an odd term. It came about, if you think about when you hear the term bone spurs, you know, when bones uh, have an injury to them or you uh, rub a bone on a bone, so arthritis where you have knee arthritis, oftentimes the friction causes a your body to lay down new calcium. And that new calcium then uh, when it collects on where the friction is occurring, it causes a bone spur. That bone spur then over time can then chip off, and when it chips off, it creates a loose piece of bone or a loose piece of cartilage that is now floating around in the joint. Some people call them joint joint mice. That's another term we use, kind of just flippantly. Uh, we sometimes call them <laughs> loose loose bodies, but they're little pieces of broken off cartilage. Usually, either a traumatic uh, fracture that then sets up arthritis that then causes the loose bodies, or it was uh, you know just over time you have arthritis set in and it causes it. So, in a shooter. Obviously, if like uh, Lowry, he's going to be taking a shot. He has to have perfect function of his wrist really to be able to finish the shot. And so for him to have suddenly a sharp pain, which is usually what happens in the end range of motion, that little piece of bone or tissue or uh, cartilage will get locked in that joint, and so you can't get your full range, and it causes exquisite pain. Imagine trying to eat a steak with your cheek stuck between your teeth. I mean, you You could bite down on it pretty hard, but not too hard. It's too exquisitely painful. And that's what happens in a joint when you have loose bodies floating around, and it becomes exquisitely painful, and you can't do the activity you need to do. So what they do is they go in, and they use a little scope. So you have a camera that goes in, a little instrument that goes in, and a little uh, 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 portal that puts water and fills up the joint so you can see the joint, and they clear out those loose bodies, trim off anything that's loose. And that's what that type of surgery is, if that makes sense. Did I stumble through that well enough? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. I'm wondering with, with Kyle Lowry, you know, uh, he they said he injured it the game before the All-Star, then he played in the All-Star game. Does that mean that they were always there and they just started hurting then or did something chip off, break off in that game and then it was too painful?
1: Yeah, you don't know exactly the time frame. When you go in, you do an MRI. usually the picture you get when you're looking at a joint and you see those little loose bodies. You don't know. It, typically, you assume that it happened, the piece broke off, when the pain started occurring. But not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll break off, and it's asymptomatic. If you did every pitcher in the big leagues elbow, if you just took a ray or an MRI of his elbow, most of them would have some form of loose body in the elbow, a little piece of cartilage, a little piece of bone, a little bone spur here and there, but not always are they symptomatic. So what happens is that little piece will sometimes get lodged in just the right spot, so when the joint moves, now it crimps it, and then you get pain from it. So... Could he have had it before that injury occurred? He could have. Most likely it occurred at the time of his injury. That's just when his pain started. That's kind of the way we, that's why we ask clinical history, because when did your pain start? Oh, it started after I had this fall, and then I started to notice I couldn't move my wrist very good. Then we got the MRI, we saw the loose body, and now we're going to go in and take it out. That's kind of the, that's usually the typical time frame.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough for the Raptors because a lot of folks thought they might have had the best chance against yes, Cleveland in I the know. East. I mean, 36 and 24 and you know, he was averaging I just looked at he's 23 points, 5 boards, 7 assists. You just can't plug somebody in to do that for them and we talk about it all the time. Sometimes the difference between a championship team and not is the injuries. Injury. I mean, Cleveland last year had their guys healthy. They came back from a 3-1 deficit and won the year before. It was LeBron by himself. By himself, you know? yeah. So who knows? They might have won two in a row. And yeah, you take Kyrie Irving out of there. Golden State yeah. as the biggest chokers, you know, of not winning two, you know, in a row. Yeah, right. They've been healthy, so you just never know.
1: Yeah, you take the main player out of there or the main player's go-to guy. You can't. You take Scottie Pippins out of uh, Michael Jordan's run with the Bulls, and it's a whole different story. And that's it's really tough, what man. happened to LeBron when they lost Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's exactly the same scenario. So yeah, and Love really was
2: out for a little bit of that yeah, run, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah, Love I mean, was out. Yeah. Yeah, so this this is a huge injury. Everybody goes, oh, the Raptors, what, how, what are the Raptors? This is a huge injury for them. This really basically tells them you're going to make the playoffs, but you might even be a one-and-done now.
1: Yeah, you're right. Hey, we're talking about uh, overcoming stories and comeback stories. I think the Dallas Cowboys look like they are on the verge of a possible comeback story. Uh, Jalen Smith, the linebacker that they drafted out of Notre Dame, remember the Cowboys – uh, picked him in the uh, later rounds he was probably going to be a first round draft pick and definitely would have been a high first round draft pick had he remained healthy but he had a had a uh, surgery on his knee he then after the surgery developed a uh a Foot drop, and so what a foot drop is, Ferris There is a nerve that yeah. Runs- you got to explain that one yeah. to me. It <laughs> right. sounds really weird when you say it. Like it that it is. It is weird. It is a uh, nerve that comes around the outside of your knee. It's called your perineal nerve, and it dives down and it feeds the muscle in the front of your lower sh- uh, shin bone, in your lower leg that pulls your foot toward up upwards towards the sky. So if you lost that muscle, if that muscle in the front of your shin didn't pull your foot up, in other words, if you had a nerve injury like Jalen Smith did. Now your foot would, if you just brought it up in the air, your foot would flop downward, right? Because you can't pull it up. So it would be just stuck in a down position, and you can't pull it up. So he had what's called a foot drop. Some people call it a, uh, you'll hear people call it a a slap foot, where it'll slap when you walk. Uh, So obviously very difficult to be a linebacker in the NFL with a foot flopping around on the field. So because when you run, you have to pull your knee up higher to clear your foot as you're coming through, right? So it makes you run differently makes you walk differently, makes you run differently. So they, they said that now reports are out that not only has the nerve improved, it's improved to the point that he thinks he's well enough that if he wears a brace, and the brace is called an ankle foot orthosis, it's a brace that goes underneath your foot, on the bottom surface of your foot, in your shoe, and then comes up in the back of your calf, and it stabilizes so it doesn't allow your foot to drop. So it holds you in a little bit of a neutral position, in other words, Think of your foot and ankle in a 90-degree hmm. position. Now when you're running, your foot doesn't catch the ground because it's not flopping, and you can run. And so Jalen Smith may be the next comeback story of the, of the in the NFL because he was going to be a high-round, first-round draft pick. Cowboys got him basically at a bargain price. He didn't play last year, but now looks like he's about ready to come back.
2: So do you just get used to that? I mean, it's still going to be kind of a weird deal just after running like that for a while. You it, just, with that new mechanism, you just start, oh, it's just kind of the new way I do it.
1: It's a... Uh, a function of how strong his foot is. If he has some return of the nerve, in other words, his muscles working somewhat, he can do it on his own. I don't think it's that big a deal. If it's a still a full-on drop foot or floppy foot or foot drop, if it's still that uh, he doesn't, he has to rely on the brace to completely swing it through. Then I think it it, w- it would be odd and awkward because he can't get full push off because the brace holds you at ninety degrees, but it doesn't allow you to push your foot all the way down. Right. So when you're running. You're not able to push off completely because the brace is keeping your foot in that neutral position. So if it's a dynamic brace where there's a little movement in it and he has some ability to pull his foot up a little bit, I think he's okay and it wouldn shouldn't be a big issue. But that I, I don't know the intricacy of the case. I don't know the details of it.
2: So so with the nerve injury, I mean, is there still is there still kinda of really nothing you can do to regenerate a nerve? I mean you no. just still just kinda of have to wait and see if it just the body just does it itself. You wait and see
1: and hope and pray. So with nerve injury, I always I always tell my athletes. You know, it's totally different than a muscular injury. A muscular injury, you can strengthen it, and over time it gets better because you strengthen the muscle injury. So you pull your hamstring, you strengthen it, it gets better over time. With a nerve injury, think of it like a light bulb. A light bulb that doesn't work because of a wiring problem, you can go change the light bulb all day long. It doesn't matter. The wiring's not working, right? So until someone Mm -hmm. fixes the wire, until the wire starts working, the light bulb never functions fully. Because remember, a nerve is the wire going to a muscle, so going and trying to strengthen the muscle, or in other words, fix the light bulb, does nothing to the wire. So you just have to hope and pray that the nerve comes back. Then you can start doing things functionally, trying to improve your your overall outcome. But it's a very hard rehab job because everybody wants to do something. Yeah. So really, you just try and maintain range of motion so your foot doesn't flop down and stay in a down position. You stretch all the tendons in the front of your leg while you're doing that. You try and keep it in a functional position. Keep that joint mo- mobile, moving on. You know, by somebody moving it or the or the athlete moving it themselves and wearing a brace, but it's a very difficult rehab p- proposition because athletes want to do something. So they'll go out and do 1,000 ankle push-ups, you know, or something, and all they're doing is they're changing the light bulb a 1,000 times, but the wire doesn't work. It's not making it get any better any faster. In fact, it, in some ways, if you fatigue a muscle when a nerve doesn't work to it, you, you harm it more than you, you help it. So it's a very difficult job to try and do that.
2: Yeah, that's tough, too, because, I mean, we talk about it as is he going to get back on the football field, which is what he wants to do. Yeah. But, okay, what if he doesn't? I mean, how's his life affected the rest of his life? With you a brace, I mean? he's fine, man.
1: With a brace, he can He'll walk, be okay. he can do functional, okay. he can do activities, daily living, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it's just is he is he functional enough to be can an NFL play? linebacker? Yeah, that's really the well, question. Geez. So I'm, I'm anxious to see him because I want to see this guy persevere because it would a, it's a, uh, be a great comeback story. A guy that was supposed yeah. to go high in the first rounds and didn't. And then the Cowboys take a you know a, a shot on him, and now hopefully he's going to come back and do well. Hey, speaking of a guy who's coming back and doing well, Bryce Harper, uh, the uh, Washington Nationals uh, All Star, the uh, boy wonder. He, he's only 24 years old, Ferris. He seems like he's been playing in the league for like <laughs> in Major know. League Baseball forever. He's 24. Yep. He's the age when most guys are getting their chance at the at the Major League Baseball. He's been around forever, and he's only 24 years old. Well, he comes back in his very first game back, uh, spring training this year, hits a home run. He not only hits a home run; he hits like 450 feet home run, and he's 15 pounds heavier. So in the off season, he somehow figured out how to put on 15 pounds and look at a Bryce Harper. It's muscle mass, man. I'm telling you, there's not a. He looks like he has like a lean, you know, body fat count of like one percent. I don't know. He looks like a like a Greek god out there right now. But man, those guys can put on some weight fast, can't they?
2: I'm happy because I have him in my fantasy baseball league and uh I get to keep him so he's no, no, one of my no. keepers so I get to keep him. I
1: think you, the rules that I read that you and your good buddy our good buddy Darren <laughs> Phillips said it's anybody <laughs> can keep your player. I think that's how it works. I there, so I think, was confused. Where you, just, you just put a claim in? Whoever gets <laughs> yeah. a claim in first gets it. I know. you got <laughs> Bryce Harper. Bryce freaking Harper, man. So anyway, but it looks like he's going to be back That's and uh, doing great things. Hey, speaking of doing great things, uh, we want to say thank you all for listening to Docs and Jocks. We love doing a sports medicine radio show for you. Remember, if you ever have a question that you would like to ask of myself, Dr. Dan, uh, regarding a possible knee, hip, back injury that you suffered on a playing field or as a weekend warrior, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can email us your question. I'd love to have you on air and Answer your question uh, regarding that injury from myself, Doctor Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician, as well as my good, great co-host, uh, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. I want to say thanks to all our wonderful fans out there. We'll see you next week on your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. From all of us here, so long.